Hello and welcome to mini episode 182 of Real Life Ghost Stories. And I have five spooky stories for you today. And the last story comes from May the 2nd, 2022. And story number one comes from Eleanor. Well, here we are. I'm finally writing a story for the podcast. When talking about ghosts and all things paranormal, my grandma comes to mind. And all I want to do is talk about just how amazing and funny she was. She also had some great ghost stories to tell. Ones that were passed down and ones that she had gained from experienced. We're a bit of a gifted or sensitive family. Most of the women on my mother and grandma's side had the ability to predict the future. My grandma worked off vibes and feelings. My mum had full-on premonitions, and unfortunately with sad endings. And then there's me. Mine were only quick flashes of an image or a word. I don't get them anymore, either because of my Christian spiritual beliefs, or maybe because I wasn't that in tune. Anyway, enough about my family tree. Like I said earlier, I would love to talk about my grandma's stories, but they wouldn't have a lasting impact. They wouldn't leave you reeling with questions. However, I believe mine will. So that's why I'm going to tell you the story about the time I lived with the devil. I'm no stranger to the paranormal and everything that comes with it. I enjoyed watching horror films. I enjoyed watching ghost hunting programs and dare I say it, ghost adventures. In my defence, this was between 2007 and 2012, give or take, back when Bagans and his paranormal posse skipped merrily down the black brick road to find all matter of ghosts and ghoulies. So back in 2012, I had just turned 22, and had not long met my then-boyfriend, now-husband. As our relationship grew, we started talking about moving in together. A lot of changes began to occur along with stressful and emotional times. I suppose it's all part and parcel of the whole growing up malarkey. There was a specific time during the weeks leading up to the move. I remember feeling very nervous and scared mostly at night. For some reason it was becoming more unsettling to sleep. There was so much noise but yet it was so silent. I began feeling very vulnerable even while I was still at home in my own room. One evening I went to my Christian volunteer group that I worked with. We gave advice and support to people who want to beat their drug and alcohol addictions through the power of Jesus Christ and if need be we would send them to rehab facilities. We are normally split into two groups. One group goes out into the community and the other group stays back at the headquarters, headquarters being the church, in case someone wanted to come and talk to us. This particular night things were quiet and it was just me and another member of the group. I told her all the things that were happening and everything that I was experiencing. I told her that I didn't want to believe in the devil or hell. I didn't want to believe that he existed. An out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. But my memory as to why I said that is hazy and unclear. Well, it's safe to say that I think he heard me because he was about to make himself known. Fast forward a few weeks and I finally said goodbye to my childhood hometown of 22 years and me and Dean moved into our new home. It was a property owned by his uncle, but we were renting. It felt good to have some independence and space. Life with Dean was great. It was hard. We struggled financially and I struggled to get a job. There was a lot of struggle and stress, but we survived and we were happy. And soon we were to be married. 
One day, me and Dean were talking about what he wanted for his dinner when he came back from work the following day. He said he wanted chicken Kievs. So I said, okay, I'll do that. But for some reason, I kept reminding myself that I needed to preheat the oven. That night, I had the strangest dream. I was going somewhere, but I don't know where. And I was doing something, but I don't know what. I woke up the next morning to find that Dean had already gone to work. But he called me when he was on his break and he said, the oven was on when I got up. In my head, I thought, oh fuck, that was me. I must have been overthinking so much that my brain decided to make my body turn on the oven in the middle of the night. I would like to clarify that up until this point, I had never sleepwalked before or since. So after the midnight cooking session, time went on with no hiccups. In 2014, at the age of 24, we began to plan our wedding. I remember more stress building up. Wedding ideas not going as planned, guest lists, location, not going wedding dress shopping with my mum and her not turning up for the hen night. I know this may all seem materialistic, but even to this day, the last two had a detrimental effect on my self-esteem. I was also struggling to find a job yet again. Dean was the breadwinner of the house and I was soon to be the housewife. And in my mind, that wasn't good enough. I wanted to be a wife who worked hard for her husband and to make him proud, but mostly for my confidence. So I continued to look for work. I don't know what it's like in the States or anywhere else, but over here we have something called Job Seekers Allowance, JSA or Benefits. It's a fortnightly income that if you applied for a certain amount of jobs within the given time frame, you get some financial support from the government. I was the only one in my family that had ever gone on benefits and I was told by a family member that I was stealing from the system, further adding more stress and shame. And to top it off, the dog we'd gotten in January of that year had been involved in a fight with another dog, but the owner had gotten injured. Because my dog wasn't on a lead at the time, I was liable and I had to give a statement at the police station. I had to deal with this guy's constant bullying and harassment about where his money was and asking me when I was going to have my dog put down. I paid insurance as was my responsibility. But now you're all probably wondering, why is this relevant? And when is the scary stuff going to happen? Believe me, it's coming and believe me when I say it was the single most terrifying experience of my life. Just bear with me. On the 17th of October 2014, we were finally married. It was a small ceremony, close friends and immediate family only. I would have liked a big wedding, but our financial background, and even though I was working finally, we still had to be careful. But honestly, at the end of the day, all I wanted was to marry him. Realistically, I couldn't care where or how. Normally, after a wedding, things are supposed to be filled with love and laughter and talks of the future. Maybe at some points we did have those moments, but they were overshadowed by the events that began to happen in the next few months. It began with the creaks. Odd little creaks in the night. Creaking of doors resting on their hinges, creaking of door handles, easy enough to be explained away. Then it was the groans, the groans of the house, the groans of the fences being pushed in the wind. Then came the shadows, the shadows that formed in broad daylight, the shadows that crawled across the walls in the middle of the night, or the shadow that lingered in the corner watching my every move. The thoughts began to happen. Thoughts going around in my head of knowledge letting me know that he was there and that he was getting closer. Then the images. Images of something unholy and barbaric that I will not discuss as to this day it still haunts me. 
With all this going on, sleep became impossible because the sounds, the shadows, the thoughts, the images, sleeping would have put me in a vulnerable position to which I would have become his puppet. I don't know why he came to me. I don't know why he was there. Maybe he came to congratulate me on my marriage or maybe he wanted a midnight snack because apparently I'm good at that. He continued to creep closer until he was no longer a scratch at the door or a shadow in the corner. He was now under my bed. He was now in my mind. I was still unsure what was happening and why it was happening until one day it pretty much showed its face in a physical form. On this day I decided to go to my local city to pick up a gift for my friend who was maid of honour at my wedding and who had planned a great hen night. The bus I took was the same bus I always took that went the same route and that passed the same buildings and one of those buildings always caught my attention as it had a big Ithacus symbol on the window the fish symbol that's associated with Christianity. I always wondered what it was and it was a Christian support group and with everything going on I thought to myself that I might go in there one day. But little did I know that it was going to be the same day that I went in. I arrived in the city and I went to a bookstore. I asked them if they had a particular book I was looking for. Unfortunately they didn't so I decided to have a casual look around and I found myself in the religion spirituality section where I came across a book that seemed very out of place, like it wasn't supposed to be there. And I was so curious I picked it up and turned to look at the cover and right there staring at me was The Satanic Rituals, Companion to the Satanic Bible by Anton LaVey. I stood staring at it for a few seconds and again I became curious. If I was a cat I'd be dead by now. My fingers began to slide under the pages and slowly started to lift them. The second I saw the last letters of each sentence, I snapped out of it. I threw the book back on the shelf, ran down two flights of stairs, out the doors, and I ran back up the road to the Christian support group. Without introducing myself, I briskly walked in and said to the first member of staff I saw, I am under a spiritual attack and I need help. As if by a magical coincidence, another member of staff entered the room. He asked me if I wanted to talk, so he sat me down and I explained what was going on. Without making it sound like he was belittling me or talking down to me, he said that it all could be linked to stress and negative energies, and that the devil and other negative forces will feed off it. But that begs the question, was I really under a spiritual attack from an evil presence, or was I under so much stress that everything around me became more than it was, a mountain out of a molehill kind of thing? I'm now 32 years old, and me and Dean and the dog Benson are still going strong. Shortly after we got married, Dean got a job back here in my hometown and we've been back here for the past 10 years. The ever-lingering presence still followed me for a little while, but with some spiritual guidance from the church, I managed to keep him at bay. Get thee behind me, Satan, right? When in the last 10 years, my mental health has been at its best and worst. I've been on the borderlines of suicide, I've been in the darkest parts of my mind, I've experienced heartbreaking family traumas, I've lost a friend to suicide, but nothing like before. He never came back. So on the basis of mental health put under enough stress and strain do our brains create monsters. The monsters that control us, the monsters that doubt us, the ones that deny us, the ones that isolate us. The ones that make us question our faith, beliefs and sanity. Do we create these or are they already here? This is a really tricky one to talk about and you've kind of posed a very tricky question at the end of it. I think fundamentally it sounds like you went through a really difficult time. That was, of course, incredibly stressful outside of the whole 
shadows in the house thing. I also have a feeling that I might have said Ithacus instead of Ichthys. But either way, it's the little fish symbol of Christianity is what I mean. So I wasn't there in your situation, so I can't give you a definitive answer about what happened, which I understand is not what you're looking for. What we can recognise is that you were under a huge amount of stress and strange things happened. And I think it's really important to recognise that we all understand things within our individual context. So we understand things based on how we grew up, what our belief system of our parents or our caregivers was, our own personal current belief system, the belief system of the partner that we're living with. So we understand things within our context. And whatever the answer to your experience is, I'm just really glad that you were able to find somebody in the form of the Christian support group people that you could talk to, that you could explain your situation to and they listened and they were empathetic and they offered you solutions to try and improve the situation. And as a side note, because I know there are lots of people listening who would consider themselves to be Satanists in some way or another, I can promise you that Anton LaVey's Satanic Bible is not this demonic book that it is made out to be. It is a series of essays, some of which are about magic and rituals, some of which challenge traditional Christianity, some of which are about ways in which to live your life with an absence of fear and ways in which to live your life from an Epicurean perspective. And generally, it doesn't really talk about Satan as a real entity, rather that rather Satan is like a projection uh, that we have created. So I wouldn't ever worry about the Satanic Bible. I mean, the name doesn't help, but I think it gets a bad rap. And story number two comes from Ashley. I had the desire to email you after hearing some other stories and kind of realising I wasn't alone. So my mom had me at 17 in Florida. When I was really young, we moved into an apartment complex and my mom made fast friends with the neighbour and the neighbour's boyfriend. We spent a lot of time with her and their kids. Long story short, one night I had seen my mom's friend's boyfriend outside my window and I opened it and started talking to him. I don't remember exactly what was said, but my mom does. She came in and asked me who I was talking to and I informed her that it was him. She promptly shut the window and took me to her room. Two days before, he was in a drunk driving accident and wrapped his car around a tree and died on impact. After this incident, my mom met my sister's father and we moved into a house on Dead River and in that house, my room was separate from everybody else's and I could hear owls all the time in my bathroom. I went to the opposite side of the house to my parents' bathroom. One night, on my journey across the house, I saw a woman in the living room all in white, and she was really pale. I asked her what she was doing, and she just said she was waiting, and I talked back and forth with her for a little while, and she looked at me and said she had to go, and I couldn't go with her, and she walked from my living room through the back porch and into the river where the alligators were. Maybe not supernatural, but creepy. The house was haunted. After we left, I found out there was a suicide before we moved in and a murder after we left. That sounds pretty supernatural to me, to be perfectly honest. Sounds like there was a ghost of a lady in the living room and that she left and went into the alligator river. Do the alligators see her too? That is the question. Alligators are pretty much dinosaurs, right? So... They've seen it all, man. They've seen everything. To me, both of those things seem pretty supernatural, so way to be a spooky kid. And story number three comes from Leah. 
A few years ago, my husband had a reoccurring nightmare for about a month that really freaked us both out and made us wonder if it could have been more than just a dream. He rarely remembers his dreams anyway, so it seemed unusual that he was able to clearly remember having this dream almost every night for multiple consecutive weeks. In the nightmare, he would be standing in the hallway outside of our bedroom and see a demonic-looking creature clinging to the top of the wall in the corner of the hallway. He described the creature as having completely black eyes and pale white skin that was tightly stretched over a jagged skeletal frame. It crawled on all fours along the wall with sharp pointed fingers in an inhuman way. He would try to chase it down the hallway and he would always wake up at the exact moment before he could catch it. But one night this changed. On the night when this happened, he remembers catching up to the creature and finally grabbing onto it. Suddenly he started screaming so loudly in his sleep that I was jolted awake and woke him up as quickly as I could. I asked him if it was the nightmare again and he said that it was, but it was different this time because he was actually able to grab the creature, but he had no memory of what happened after he did. Considering the terrified scream that he let out in his sleep, we were both kind of glad that he didn't remember. A few nights later we were watching TV before bed. When out of nowhere, our pit bull started growling at our closed bedroom door, seemingly aware of something in the darkness of the hallway beyond the door. My husband hadn't experienced the recurring nightmare again since the night he screamed in his sleep, but I immediately thought about how this door led into the hallway from his nightmare. This was very unusual behaviour for our dog, so my husband grabbed his gun and prepared to face a possible home intruder. He threw open the door with his gun at the ready when suddenly there was an impossibly white flash of light that was so bright he couldn't see anything else in the hallway for a split second that it occurred. After it quickly returned to darkness, he turned on the hallway light and searched all around the hallway as well as the rest of the house and he found no signs of an intruder. We're still not sure what we experienced, but he hasn't had that nightmare again since this happened. Recently I made an unsettling connection between this experience and something that my husband told me happened when he first moved into this house several years ago. Before he ever started having the recurring nightmare, I remember him telling me about one night when he saw a glimpse of a pale white face outside of the window of the kitchen. Recently when I brought this up, then asked about the creature in the nightmare, he got creeped out because he said they looked the same. I like to think that the white light was a guardian angel protecting us from a demonic entity, but I'd love to know what you think about this. I think everybody has that fear to some degree when you're in the house and your lights are on inside and it's dark outside. That fear that you're going to look up and somebody is going to be standing at the window. Ordinarily and personally, I wouldn't really think twice about a nightmare in general because I'd be like, oh, my brain is doing weird stuff. I'm having this nightmare. That's fine. When you have it over and over again and then you tie it with the face outside the window, it becomes a very different beast. I am dying to know what that light source was. Like if it was something natural in your house, like a light bulb blowing or I don't know, some sort of gadget that you had around the place, you would know. You'd know, you'd find it and you'd go, oh, that was, that was what happened. Oh, the light bulb blew. Oh, you know, that thing emits that light at a certain time, whatever, you would eventually know. But to me, from like years of, you know, reading fantasy books, etc, etc, the light flashing like seems to symbolise something leaving or arriving. And I don't want to be that guy. 
But maybe this whole thing boils down to aliens. And story number four comes from Corey. I was 12 years old and spending the summer with my dad in Idaho. Late one night, lost in the cosy fog of a dream, I watched myself sitting in the living room of dad's condo. Not a very exciting location for a dream since all we did there was watch TV and play checkers. The kitchen phone rings and my dad picks it up and says hello with his faded Oklahoma drawl. Suddenly I was struck with fear. I watched my dad's face contort into an expression I'd never seen before. He stuttered. Oh God. Oh God, no. My mind raced. Whatever was happening, it was bad. The sinking in my stomach was mismatched with a surge of panic. I sputtered questions at my dad still on the call. Dad, what is it? Is everything okay? Is it mom? He didn't answer. He just listened, his face growing paler by the second. Whether it was intuition or a primal instinct, I realised only one thing had the power to do this to a person. Death. I needed to figure out who had died. I started listing people. Grandma? Grandpa? Dad, what's wrong? My dad was shaking, his eyes welling with tears. I didn't know what to do. I didn't understand why he wouldn't answer me. I just kept naming people. Melissa? Uncle Dean? Aunt Belle? Aunt Leanne? Aunt Judy? Then my dad hung up the phone. The dream collapsed and I shot awake, my body surged with adrenaline. I questioned myself. What was that? It felt like a nightmare, but there wasn't anything visible to be frightened of. I pulled the covers up to my eyes and scanned the room for a boogeyman. Breaking the silence of the rural Idaho night, a voice echoed from nowhere. Help me. It grew louder. Help me, somebody, please. I literally pinched myself like in the movies. I was conscious. Who said that? I muttered. The list of names from my dream scrolled through my mind at that exact moment. I stopped before saying the very last one. The only person I would ever be concerned about was my sister Judy. She was the lucky golden child beloved by everyone, especially me. My eyes slowly crept from the floor to the ceiling and there she was. A pale apparition of my sister hovering above my bed. She wore a white dress like the one from her wedding. It was weightless and drifting in an invisible breeze. Her eyes wandered as a disembodied voice again screamed, Somebody help me! Her gaze turned and locked right on me. Corey, she said. I froze. Corey, help me. Call for help, she begged. Judy, what is wrong? What is happening? She convulsed and I shit you not, blood started dripping down her face and soaking her dress. Tears streamed, mixing with smears of blood, while Judy begged over and over again for help. What can I do, Judy, what can I do? I called out, but she didn't respond. Our connection was lost, and she began to fade away. Judy, I'm here at Dad's, where are you? Should I call the police? Nothing I said broke through to the other side, and then she was gone. I was left staring at the ceiling. Just writing this, thinking about it, I've broken into tears. Over 35 years later, and the memory is visceral, transcendent, and heartbreaking. I sat up in bed and looked around. The room was freezing. Do I wake up dad? It was nearly midnight, I can't wake him up, it was only a dream, right? My vivid imagination conjured it, I'm, I'm not a baby, I'm 12 years old for Christ's sake, relax and just go back to sleep. I curled into a fetal position, tucking myself under the heavy covers. 
my eyes closed and focused on calming my thoughts. But from some distant void, faintly, I could still hear Judy crying for help. The next morning was a Sunday, which had a regular routine. Get up, have a quick bite to eat and then go to church. We'd get there early because Dad helped out with the service and sometimes I'd acolyte. The repetition of church was boring for me, but it made Dad happy. Plus, I got the best seat in the house. Looking out St. Thomas Episcopal's A-frame window towards Mount Baldy, I spent the whole service gazing at the mountain, daydreaming of skiing its slopes in the wintertime. Right after church, we came home. I plopped in Dad's chair, turned on the TV and was greeted by the familiar tone of James Earl Jones saying, This is CNN. I swear they played that soundbite more than the actual news back in the day. Anyway, I started to zone in on the idiot box and the phone rang. Dad was right there to pick it up. Yellow? Yes. Oh God. Oh God, no. Parallel universes collided in an instant. My forgotten dream from last night came rushing back like a well-rehearsed actor. I instinctively began reciting my lines. Dad, what is it? Is everything okay? Is it mom? If only I could stop this compulsion of dialogue spewing from my mouth, maybe it could change the course of history. Yet I continued. Grandma. Grandpa, Dad, what is it? My voice strained to get the words out. Don't let this be real. Make it stop. I locked eyes with my dad and watched the strong, smart man before me crumble. This was happening, whether I liked it or not. I choked out the words. Uncle Dean? Aunt Belle? Melissa? Aunt Judy? Little Judy? Dad hung up the phone and said, Judy is dead. This is such a good story that I almost forgot that at the centre of this there is a tragedy, which is that your sister died. So I'm very, very sorry that you had to go through that and that she had to go through that and that your family had to go through that. I cannot even begin to imagine the feeling of sitting down to watch the TV in real life, the phone ringing and your dad echoing the dream that you had the night before and sort of knowing what was going to come, knowing what was going to happen. It must have been so horrific having had that experience the night before in your dream where you felt helpless and scared and all of those things and then the next day realising that actually it was coming to fruition. If you want to read the full story of this, by the way, listeners, I am talking to you, the full story is available on coreyreader.substack.com slash p slash the premonition. I'll put the link in the description to this episode as per usual, but just if you want to read the whole thing, please do go and do that. And story number five comes from Jess. Growing up, I have always felt sensitive to the other side. This is a culmination of stories I have experienced. The first one being at Victoria's Black Swan Inn located in San Antonio, Texas. This inn resides where the Battle of Saladu took place. When I was about nine or ten years old, I convinced my mom to drive past the inn as I had always seen signs for it near the thrift store that we would go to. It was a Sunday afternoon when we drove near it. I noticed a horse in the front yard tied up and wanted to check on it so I told my mom I would be right back. As I got out of the car I felt this overwhelming eerie presence. The air felt thick. I felt drawn to the front door and I slowly approached the porch. I know how cliche it sounds but the closer I got to the front door the heavier the air felt and the darker the presence got. When I was inches away from the door it opened. I looked up at the white wooden door 
now open and saw a tall, dark, shadowy figure standing in the doorway. In shock, I heard my mom yell from the car, Get in the car now! I ran back to the car and my mom immediately took off. I knew based on her reaction that she too had seen this mysterious shadow figure. Keep in mind my mom has always been very religious and against anything paranormal. She wanted to prove both of us wrong, that we didn't see anything and that it was our imagination, so she decided to call the inn owner. When the owner picked up the phone, my mom explained that we were outside of the inn and wanted to take a tour of the place and potentially get a room to stay in. The owner replied, I'm sorry, no one is at the inn currently, we're at a funeral. My mom said, but we just saw somebody open the front door. To which the owner replied, that's impossible, no one is home now, I'm sorry. My mom hung up the phone and looked at me in pure shock. What we saw was not human. I will never forget that feeling of dread walking towards that place. Fast forward to the age of 19 when I moved out of my hometown for college and I was living alone. I started watching old Ghost Adventures episodes when I stumbled upon the one about the Black Swan Inn. At first I didn't think anything of it. I was just cooking and had it on as background noise. That was until I stumbled upon the scene where Jack is interviewing the little girl who lives there. The owner and her two children resided in the home. The episode took place when the little girl must have been around my age at the time of my visit. Anyway, Zach asks her if she's ever seen anything in her home and she said she saw a shadow person in her room. This along with many accounts from people who have worked there or visited the inn say there is an ominous dark presence there. This confirmed my sighting and I finally had closure. In the same town I lived in for college, I happened to go exploring downtown one day and wandered into an old building. Immediately I got into the elevator and felt drawn to the fifth floor. I can't explain why, but I just did. In the elevator, the walls were lined with mirrors. The doors opened to the fifth floor and I felt like I wasn't supposed to be there, so I hurried downstairs and walked back to my car. In the car, I decided to investigate the history of the hotel and employees report the 5th and 6th floor to have the most activity. I also found that the original owner died on the property. He unfortunately fell out of the window trying to help someone repair the sign. My last story takes place at the apartment my boyfriend at the time, now husband, lived in. It was a small one-bedroom apartment where we stayed and I always had an uneasy feeling in our bedroom, specifically the closet. The closet just had a creepy vibe to it. To make things even more strange, inside the closet were the words, No Fear, written in red ink on the wall that was painted over but still sheer enough that you could still read them. I would usually sleep facing that closet and would always feel like I was being watched. Cabinets would open and our TV would turn on in the bedroom, but the spirit never felt dangerous. One night, I finally fell asleep after feeling uneasy and I woke up to a heavy feeling on my chest and I felt like I couldn't breathe. Apparently, I talked in my sleep and turned to my husband and said, He showed me how you died, and then fell back asleep. I have no recollection of telling him that, but after that night, we told the ghost, Look, you can stay here and we won't bother you as long as you don't hurt us or our cats. We never had any other incidents after that besides the occasional TV turning on and off. We can live with the occasional TV turning on and off, okay? We can live with that. That is okay. Not if it's in the middle of a very important part of the Great British Bake Off, but we can live with it nonetheless. How absolutely terrifying for your mom. I know it's obviously terrifying for you as a child too, and I'm not trying to take away from that, but your mom watching you going towards the building and then the door opens and this huge shadow figure is standing there. 
oh my word, she must have been absolutely petrified. And then I can kind of understand her trying to understand what happened and trying to logically find a reason for seeing that, especially when you don't believe in the paranormal, right? You need to find something that is logical and rational to explain what you have just seen. I don't actually remember that episode of Ghost Adventures. I must go back and try and find it and see if I can watch it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you to Eleanor, Ashley, Leah, Corey and Jess for sending in your stories. Remember the last story came from May the 2nd, 2022. And if you would like to send in your stories to Real Life Ghost Stories, you can send it to Podcast at gmail.com. You can find out everything you need to know about the podcast on Podcast.com. You can also check out our Patreon. If you are desperate for extra content, there is heaps and heaps of episodes available on patreon.com forward slash Real Life Ghost Stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content and also every single main and mini episode completely ad free. Don't forget to sling us a vote in the Irish Podcast Awards this choice award if you feel so inclined and on that note i shall see you next time